Hello, the internet, and welcome to this episode of the Weekly Zeitgeist. Uh, these are some of our favorite segments from this week, all edited together into one uh, nonstop infotainment laugh extravaganza. Uh, yeah. So, without further ado, here is the Weekly Zeitgeist. Uh, please welcome the brilliant and talented Yael Evan. Oh, hi. Welcome. Oh, thank oh. you. That was a long intro. I know. Hey, just, just but it's, to, it's nice that we have to let people know sometimes on this sad little show, we have a, accomplished, distinguished guests on. So thank you so much yeah. for coming by. Yeah, oh, yeah. Thank, thank you for, you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I never had a communion wafer before, but you made it sound really good. Oh, it's, it's so good. Delicious. It's, <laughs> it's so flavorless, you know? Yeah. It's really, I remember, you know, the first time I pretended to, like, take communion. Like, you know, you have to be confirmed usually, you know, like, or you have to you have pretended? your first communion. Yeah, because uh, you, all the pressure when you're, like, in a religious school, they're like, what, you're not, you're not like everybody else? I'm like, with my Asian mom <laughs> and black dad, who was almost like an atheist, I'm like, oh, right. yeah, yeah, I love this, yeah. Let me, <laughs> let me hit that yeah. wafer real Once you quick. you pop, you can't stop. Yeah, stop. exactly. You're in New York, right? I am. Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. How's the weather? Is it? Are we getting fall New York weather? I, yeah. Is the weather, did y'all get a storm too recently? We got a storm a couple of days ago. I think like because of that storm that no one was prepared for with all the rain. Mm-hmm. Now, like I, everyone was, you know, very... We were talking about it all day, and then I don't know. I went to sleep, and I think it w- happened overnight. And honestly, I don't think it did as you know nearly any damage. So it was fine. Right. I'm yeah. enjoying. I'm enjoying the colder weather. Yeah. For the next, you know, for the next month or so, then it will be too cold. Fully I, cold. Yeah. I remember this in New York. I don't know if it's specific to New York or it's just a you know the most recent place I lived that has weather, but. <laughs> Like we we had a really big almost like blizzard. There were like over there was over a foot of snow in the streets, and it like all came down at once to the point that my wife was driving home from the hospital, and like her car got stuck in the middle of the street. Like just that's how much snow was coming down. Like it just got stuck mid snowstorm, and like Aww. I had to like shovel it out. But it was like still in the middle of the street. It got stuck like while driving. Oh my god! But then the rest of that winter. Every time it was there was like a one percent chance of snow, the local news would be like blizzard coming. Everybody oh, right. like nail down everything, secure your children. And then it was it was nothing. But it was just like once there was a weather event, <laughs> right? That, that was that's all they needed. Then it was yeah, apocalypse blizzard. Mm. Yeah, I just I love... would definitely take L.A. weather. Yeah, LA bring weather. it here, stay yeah. in New York. But oh, I wow. and I'm so scared of like a situation like that because I didn't grow up with snow at all. So I would right. not know what to do. Yeah, right, pollution right, right. might be doing that work for you. You know, yeah, it's I've, getting I've winters are actually less harsh. I've seen days. the like, I've seen the projections. I think New York's going to be a tropical climate uh, by the mid century. So, yeah, you know, it's like Exxon always says, if you don't like the weather, just wait around 100 years and we will have uh, completely changed it. <laughs> Yeah, you won't be alive globe. to see it, but <laughs> trust me, <laughs> it's, it's a little happen. Uh, we do like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history? Well, I it was just this morning, actually. I have mm-hmm. this thing. I mean, it's not like I'm sure everyone deals with it, but I, for whatever reason, sweat a lot sometimes at night to the mm. point where like I wake up at like 3 a.m. and I'm like drenched in my sweat. And I don't mm. know why. But it worries me because it's like one gross and I like go back to bed with like a <laughs> towel, like sleepily, just like lie down on my towel and pass out again. But yeah, I Googled why do I sweat so, so much in my sleep? And, you know, it came back with the usual stuff. Like one, it was like, it's normal. And then the other one was like, you have cancer. So, right, right. Um, <laughs> it's, it's one extreme or the other. Yeah. Right. So, uh, oh, forget about it or see an oncologist immediately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, uh, like my body already has like a slew of problems to begin with that like I could probably pinpoint it the reason to. But like, yeah, I Google physical things too much. Like my sister's a doctor and she hates that I do that because every (laughs) time I see her. (laughs) Well, because like she like I just Google every small thing that happens to my body. Like, why? Why is my eye twitching? Or like, why? Like, why are my knuckles cracking so loud or whatever? It's just like, just Mm. let it happen. You don't have to know why everything is the way it is. This is why I hate magic. I don't like magic. I don't understand it. 
<laughs> that, that's, oh, yeah. that's a different issue. You you just <laughs> demand the magic show stop and you're I like, how did, that, how did you do that? That's I, it. That's uh-uh. it. Call it off. Turn yeah. on the lights. Yeah, I don't like not understanding. But yeah, I um, don't know why. It doesn't happen every night. It'll happen so random. And I'll just like, it'll be disgusting and have to like change everything. I've had things know. like that, but it's because like I'll be stressed. Like I'll have that, a that's wild one. ass stress dream. Yeah. And that wake up and I'm like, what the fuck? Stress is also <laughs> one of the things they listed. Stress yeah. and like hormone stuff that I think is my issue. And just like, yeah. Yeah. Metapausal women go through it. Hot night flashes, hot flashes, which is, mm-hmm. I think, my thing. Because I have like this whole, it's a long story. Sure. But yeah. Yeah. The sweating. I get I don't, it. I don't, like, I don't like the. the you know because I, I used to be like that too, like being on WebMD all the time. Why my why my toe in this one knuckle feel like that? Is it gout? You know what I mean? And it's like no. But I have a friend who's a nurse, and you know, like it's very like I'm always like bothering her, and mm-hmm. she's been like a trauma nurse. She's been in the ICU. Now she's in oncology, so she has like a good like sense of things. Not to say I'm asking for medical advice, but ever I'm like. Yo, man, this thing hurts. She's like, look, the thing you got to understand about your body is like, it's alive. So sometimes <laughs> shit's going to hurt because your body's just doing some shit. That doesn't mean you're fucking ill because yeah, your yeah. leg hurt in the night. They're like, maybe just something was going on or you overuse something that you didn't realize. And yeah. like that cut down my Googling by about 70 percent is to because I was like, oh, OK, so it's normal sometimes. She's like, yeah, like unless you have chronic pain somewhere, then like you can like give yourself the break. Yeah. Of realizing your body is an alive thing and constantly shit is happening. Yeah, that, that's what my sister tries to drill into my head. And it doesn't <laughs> always work because I still do it. But like literally, I, I will call her at the most. I, I'm I'm terrible. She must hate me so much. But like I'll call her at the most <laughs> random times for the stupidest fucking shit. Like literally the other day I called her because I was confused. Like. I had suddenly, I think I was almost going to dissociate, but I wasn't. But I was in my bed and suddenly, like, was confused about the world. And I was like, Ramey, am I going through a psychotic break? I'm I'm like, what? I don't know. I wasn't. But (laughs) I convinced myself. I I mean, I'm just, I have problems. (laughs) Hey, look, we all, we're we're all, we're all uh, working to be our best selves. But I think, you know, this got to bring awareness sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. I have to yeah. wash my sheets today is the point of that. So mm, mm, mm-hmm. The thing that put it in perspective for me is that the, our body carries more than 100 trillion microbes, like living creatures in mm. it, which is like way, way more than the number of people on Earth. So it's like we are a entire galaxy uh, or a galaxy of yeah. we, of a population that, you know, yeah. there's a, a little war somewhere down there. That just might affect us or cause us to sweat or wow. shit ourselves. Jack is poetic today. Like that and then the poisoning the well of his comedy. Like yeah. this is <laughs> <laughs> right. a new side of Jack I haven't realized. But He's yeah. trying to bring hey, this man. show up to first rate, you know? Yeah. That's right. What is something you think is overrated, Joe? Fireworks. Okay. Uh, they are ubiquitous. They are the staple of some holidays. and. We have not had any advancements in what we see. I feel like my whole life, fireworks have looked exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, you'll get like uh, the shape of a fish, and you're like, <laughs> "Okay, <laughs> why?" You got a squid, yeah. yeah. And you're like, "I think that was a fish." Uh, yeah, I just think they're primitive, and also, especially living in Los Angeles, and I think people in, in big cities might relate to this. Sometimes you'll just be sitting around, and there's a gigantic explosion and it's very frightening and then you have to remember oh yeah people just will shoot off fireworks (laughs) (laughs) residential grade explosives yeah 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 yeah. and also it's terrorism to pets right and i can't get on i can't get on you know what i'll i'll make the bold statement i'm not getting on board with any terrorism of any kind but wow great yeah that's i know i i went there but Yeah. yeah i just think across the board fireworks just, I mean, can we not just like do a laser light show in the sky? Is that not something we can figure out? Because yeah. it just seems like it would solve a lot of problems, be more interesting. Yeah. Or like, you know, it, like in Japan, there's a huge culture of fireworks shows, but they do them in like these huge areas that like is in the middle of a city. 
So, I mean, it's Tokyo's pretty dense, but you'll do it over right. like the Yokohama Bay or something. Mm-hmm. And so everyone can see from like many angles and they're like, we're setting off like 70,000 individual fireworks and come to get your mind blown versus like, I think in America, everything's like cowboy style. So it's like, <laughs> hey, man, check out this shit I rigged. I might blow up the fucking neighborhood. Who knows? But it's going to be sick and loud for 45 minutes. And so I feel like maybe just focus them because I like mm-hmm. I like seeing little bang bangs go off, but in the, in the way you're saying, like when it's a you know Memorial Day or Fourth of July, and then your neighborhood just sounds like a bunch of random explosions, it's it's tough. It's tough. Okay. I'm gonna go the opposite direction and say I like an ambient like a holiday with like your ambient fireworks for a night, and they're just like kind of shooting off once in a while, but like putting all the pressure on it that you're gonna see a fireworks show. Like I just feel like that is competing with too much in our day and age of, you know, it's just the same shit over and over again with just different colors. It's, I I feel like doing a show as opposed to like the, my opinion on fireworks, I started liking them more once I was able to like set a few off when I lived in Missouri. And like when you drove to the airport, there were just these massive like firework barns that <laughs> you could like go and get actual like real deal fireworks. Like when they're just like out and around and like something you could like set a couple off, they're kind of fun. But if it's just a thing, like as it was when I was growing up of just like you go, you sit on a blanket and watch a handful of them be set off for 15 minutes while the pops play like it. It's not as I'm not as into. No, it. you got. I'm telling you, you have to see like where my mom's from in Japan, Niigata. There's a thing in Nagaoka, which is like the biggest fireworks show in like one of them in Japan. There's a finale where it's like the whole fucking like two kilometer wide display goes up, and you'll I'm guarantee you've never seen some shit like that. Right. That's yeah. so. That's what I mean. Like, like really take the time if you're gonna go there. Mm-hmm. Like, blow our heads off. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause you can like, it feels like growing up, it'd be like, we're going to go see the fireworks and we'd like drive 20 minutes and like it'd take a long time to park. And then we'd walk across a bridge and then we'd sit down. And it was the exact same thing I've seen every single time. It was just never yeah. worth the effort. Yeah. yeah totally. The, the, my best experiences with fireworks are when like I forgot it was the 4th of July and was like out for a run. And then like fireworks were like shooting off around like, the town and it was like oh that's really cool and like it's like sort of ambient and like a found experience as opposed to one mm-hmm. that you're like sitting down for and like get yeah. everybody to wow me wow me <laughs> what is something you think is underrated i want to give some love to anna ferris yeah there's all this like twitter stuff going on i guess what's his name oh shit chris pratt chris posted pratt. it with his new wife and is oh, like right. said that thing about like I, I look I don't know what his situation is I don't know if he was being shady he doesn't feel like he knows how to be shady because he's all like you know bibled up but he was like oh I, she gave his, this new wife whose name I'm sorry I forget who he married oh Schwarzenegger he married uh, a Schwarzenegger yeah. that she gave him like a healthy daughter and I yeah. guess I I don't know I, I don't know the exact details I believe. Anna Ferris's son was born like premature and so they had to like you know obviously he had he had some complications so like I don't know I don't know if that was active shade but regardless it's like you don't need to write that period you don't need to write that you don't need to acknowledge that there was a healthy child when at some point you had an issue with another child like that's not cool that's absolutely not cool it's also like I agree that it doesn't he doesn't feel like he's capable of like being actively intentionally shady he feels like he's the type of person who like considers himself above shadiness and would say some shit like that without even like thinking about it because he feels mm. like he's like so far above it. And what? I th- it's just facts, you know. Yeah. I, mean, look, I just think okay. like you can praise your wife without like saying stuff like that cuz I think Anna Ferris is dope as hell. She's funny. She's like the most like human person you've ever met. Like all of her podcasts, she just seems so high. It's the most relatable shit I've ever heard. She's yeah. just like, "What?" And you're like, yeah, like, that's how I, I mean, feel. There have even been times I think we've had to interact with her and you're like, I'm, I've always been taken aback at how normal she is. She yeah. seems like the most normal person and she's so funny. Let's give it up for Scary Movie. Okay. Single-handedly, mm-hmm. her and Regina Hall carried those films. So funny. 
I mean, honestly, she's a, I, in my opinion, legendary uh, comedic honestly, actor. Love, love me some Anna Ferris. I also think that she, like, I don't know if they're the best episodes of SNL, but I think some of her guest hosting on SNL, like some of the role, some of the, her performances are like some of the strongest moments I've ever seen a guest host have on SNL. She's just like so naturally funny and feel like underrated mm. as a, as a comedic force. I like how people are, there's someone tweeted about how like you could look at this post and it'll very quickly tell you what side of the planet you're on based on what you think of that post like if it's cringe or well, sweet and normal let's just say tulsi gabbard commented on it and i was like oh, oh tulse i mean yeah damn i mean, I mean regina hall it was nice to see her in uh, nine perfect strangers yeah that's when i was like look at that fucking range it ain't just comedy no she's Wait. also amazing all right let's take a quick break and we'll be right back And we're back. And what was being billed as the biggest election since Biden defeated Trump happened last night in Virginia. And, you know, the Republican, even though Biden defeated Trump by 10 points there, a Republican came through and defeated the Democratic incumbent. And, you know, we, we've talked in the past couple episodes about how this is being covered in the mainstream that like this this is the hope for the Republican Party that they can take the parts of Trumpism that are helpful, discard the toxic parts and win a bunch of seats in the midterm. And that seems to have borne out, right? Yeah. I mean I think one thing to just keep in mind is like if you look statistically at Virginia in like since the seventies there's only been one time a Democrat has won the presidency and then the, the governor's house didn't flip. So, right. This is pretty much a pat like it's just a general pattern. Right. I think especially like, you know, one in 11 that that feels like a this, this was going to be a pretty hard fought thing. But yeah, uh, I don't I mean, there's there there's a lot of work being done in Virginia to not have like a a real policy for McAuliffe to like run on more than being like. Youngkin's a Republican, though. Right. So, and like Trump endorsed him, and we're going to buy a bunch of ads with the Youngkin's name on it, just trying to be like, yeah, so Trump loves him. So, McAuliffe. Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> and then in Buffalo, the Democratic primary earlier this year, the a Democratic socialist, India Walton, defeated the incumbent mayor, Byron Brown. And so, that was unacceptable to the establishment. And so they started distributing stamps with his name on them for people to put in the in the write-in part so that there would be no like spelling errors and to, just to make it super easy, which seems like the sort of thing that you wouldn't get away with if you were not the incumbent and had been in power for four terms. But right. they did get away with, uh, it seems like they pulled it off. And so the Democrats are successfully defeating socialists, not successfully defeating Republicans. And this just kind of sent me down a spiral of, I think Democrats would rather lose to a Republican than a socialist at this point. It seems like because their entire identity is defining themselves in opposition to the Republican Party, and socialism kind of throws everything out of whack because it forces them to answer questions about why they don't normally do things for their constituents. And so they are willing to, you know, get very creative. And in the case of the Buffalo mayoral race, you know, bring in a bunch of Republicans to to vote for their candidate in order to defeat the Democratic Socialist. They, they think that a lot of the votes for the incumbent were Republicans who just came in because socialism evil. And yeah, I, it's it just makes me wonder, you know, as we're seeing the results in uh, in the Biden administration of a Democratic Party that is just defines itself in opposition to Republicans, but doesn't really stand for anything like it seems like more and more there it's becoming clear 
that there is a absolute need for another answer that's not the Democratic Party. But I don't yeah. know. Well, I think a lot of the discourse afterwards is it's never going to question the party or the manner, the way the, the government is set up or the system that <laughs> that we have. It's like, what happened? I mean, what happened with progressives or like, wow, white women really <laughs> swung this thing for Youngkin in, uh, in, in the in the governor's race rather than holy shit. I mean, because, again, it, it involves a party completely self-owning by being like, man, we totally fucked up. We're, we promise shit and we don't deliver. Uh, we have a very inconsistent platform. We also have some of like the least compelling people leading the party that really doesn't move the needle for younger people who are living in a pretty much like antithetical lived reality than the one leaders think they're in. Yeah. So there's like a huge issue, like in terms of just even like what the, cause like the face of the democratic party is Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden. Right. That's, you know, and to think that they can just kind of keep coming back to this and people go, Oh, like the, the, the speaker goat is back. Like that, that doesn't energize anyone at all or anymore. I mean, maybe it did when they took the house like in 2006 or whatever it was when Bush was in office. But at this point, they're completely out of ideas and don't know how to speak to people and are still wondering what the problem is. And I think that's what's really alarming. It's like they're, they just they're, I think slowly and slowly I'm like, yeah, we don't get it. We don't get it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, a lot of the responses I'm seeing are, you know, blaming, like you were saying, like white women in Virginia for voting against their best interests. And I don't know, I like I think the missing ingredient that I hadn't fully been taking into account until like paying as much attention as we have been while doing this show for the past four years is and especially the past year when you have a Democrat in power and also during the election when there was a Democratic socialist candidate that like the mainstream media is really like part of the whole system that makes it impossible for there ever to be an alternative yes to the Dem the big D democratic party yeah and you're just you know they treated the black lives matter protest the genuine like aggrievement and energy and grief those coming from a nation and that is being murdered with impunity as like a radical movement that they're claiming scared people away and not acknowledging that that's because of the unfair coverage where, you know, local news and even the New York Times is portraying it as, you know, radical and leading to more murders. And and then also like the way that the mainstream media like focuses on the small like culture war things about like. TV shows removing blackface characters. I just feel I feel like when you look at like if you just take a collage of all the New York Times's coverage of the Black Lives Matter movement since George Floyd was murdered, you would like get this melange of like radical protests that are that like ultimately are about like things that are impossible to achieve and that like lead to a higher murder rate and right. it's just like like <laughs> i and then and then you know just the way that they cover socialism is also just a complete disingenuous fuck job yeah it i'm i mean this is also just just beyond the media too the pattern of uh oh scary people of color yeah that's just a fucking tactic that works all yeah. the time in this country unfortunately like you know it, there's just as you know ta especially with looking at how the blm coverage works it's it's too if again it's because all these things force reckonings and we're the country that cannot have to reckon with anything ever at all so right. you know we're at this point too where like the we're clearly at the end stage here of the the most this two-party system can do the wheels are coming off. People need support. And the government, even with a party in power of everything, still can't do it. It's just like, because there's all these blocks, too, without understanding. It's like, oh, do we really need to have a fundamental reconfiguration or renegotiation with how we see people's health care or how we see people's education or right to a domicile or shelter? 
And that just it's some it's a conversation that's just too difficult for the established powers. So mm. <laughs> right? yeah. I don't know if this is going to be, you know, like I think a lot of optimistic Democrat pundits are like, hey, man, this could be this. The, now they're seeing what's going on. Now the, the Democratic leadership's going to see what's going on. And now they're going to really do stuff. They're going to they, they'll figure it out. That's the good part of this is they can figure it out. I'm like, uh, really? Because been a lot of opportunities and we, I haven't seen anything like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have a couple years with Obama having won a, you know, massive, like what, what today qualifies as like a landslide victory to win the presidency, having both houses of Congress. And, you know, the most he was able to get through was an Obamacare bill that was basically written by health insurance companies. And now we have Biden with both houses and unable to do anything. And it's just, it seems like the the Democrats are willing to fight for their ability to stay in power and then do nothing. Like that seems to be what is ultimately their goal, What regardless of what they say. Like stay in power, don't change anything. Just keep the status quo. Well, and I think people just need to understand, like, really the larger point, too, is like the like the thing that is going to solve things is like the poison of the established powers now. Right. So they're just in this impossible situation where they'll they can't embrace the thing that would spell their demise or their yeah. plat their platforms demise. And I think that's and that's all we're watching where they're like, right. They're unable to connect the dots because then they'd have to be like, oh, we suck. We can't do this. It, 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 <laughs> right. You know, so instead yeah. of being like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man, paid family leave, man. Yeah. Two years of community college tuition free, baby. We got this uh, $15 minimum wage. Now to Biden is pulls back on this. Biden pulls back on this. Biden pulls back on this. Right. It, because, wow, they it's easy to say that. And then you're like, OK, so to do that, we have to kind of fundamentally change some things about the tax code. and. Uh, ta some taxation elements, also where our empathy goes, because it can no longer go to business owners and the people who are benefactors in terms of donations. So I think that has to be more of the norm that people sort of need to, at a baseline, need to understand rather than getting into like the back and forth, like, well, the Democrats or Republicans are the messaging. It's no, we're at a point in societally, we're at a point where we need major change, but we have people there that are completely they're unable to change their operating system and it's incompatible with them. So, yeah, I think the surprise has to end at a certain point and people have to really like the larger discussion about is this the right thing at all and how can we change that or what do we need to do as citizens to figure out how we can ensure these things or exert the proper influence to get people to, you know, come to the table to bring better outcomes for, you know, just general Americans. Yeah, I think. Climate's going to move the needle, I think, the most, right? Because all these other things are things that we can ignore to a certain extent or like just put off nobody having insurance or put off minimum wage hikes or put off whatever. But when it's like, oh, we're having all these, you know, severe weather events or, you know, all these other negative outcomes, I feel like that is going to force the revolution needle a little bit more. It, it's the closest to the for those reasons, for sure, because it's tangible and it's very difficult to act like it's not some fantasy ghost concept that just like half the country believes in. But then you look at what's happening in Glasgow right now with the sort of deals being made around climate change. And you're like, <laughs> oh my God, they don't fucking get it. No, <laughs> right. I know. Like, and again, because this is this just like. Any just like there are problems here or just as it relates to global warming, the people that are there to make the decisions, the the answer to the question spells the demise of the power structure that they've benefited from. Right. So there's it's that's just the absurdity of how leadership is running globally at the moment, because like, again, with all the talk of like late stage capitalism and where we're at, it's like, yeah, the the momentum of all the good parts has is worn off. At this point, we're no longer coasting like we did in decades previous from like the little bit of improvements that were made to make things slightly more equitable for some people. 
But now, because it's been the same thing, like how can we extract the most with giving back the least? You know, it's it's only creating this uneasiness across the country and the world where many people are starting to feel like, what the fuck? Like, if you're not informed, it just everything just feels like general unease and instability. But again, we're at a, at a crossroads and we're, we're refusing it's a crossroads. And the people who genuinely have have all the power in this country, given like in the current system are able to insulate themselves from the, you know, devastation of climate change because it is a problem that mostly affects poor people that aren't able to buy a island in New Zealand to go, like, weather the apocalypse on. Yeah, or even just have, like, the, you know, the assets to say, like, you know what, we're going to move, we're leaving this place, pack your stuff up, we'll put the rest in storage, and now we live in this country. Yeah, that's I think that's short sighted, though. Like, I think that's going to catch up with people because it's not it's so funny. I was at dinner with someone and he was like, oh, we're (laughs) it was horrible. how he was saying it, but he was like, we're in that bracket, right? Like we're we're going to be able to escape it. And I was like, you are like Mm -hmm. a TV writer. You can, (laughs) you know, like you're, you can't outrun this thing. There's not like, it's going to have a societal cost that you're going to wind up paying, even if it's going to be like a tax that you could pay now and it could be less, or you could pay it later and you're still going to have to pay it because you'll have to pay for your share in society crumbling, (laughs) basically. All right, let's talk about redlining. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was, I feel like most people who listen to the show would know what redlining is, but it was the, you know, racist practice of making it so that people of color and black households, Hispanic households could not get loans for homes to be, yeah. couldn't become homeowners and therefore couldn't grow their wealth. Yeah, quite literally drawing red lines on a map where where their communities of color and banks are like don't invest there. Yeah. Don't <laughs> allow people to get loans. We're not interested in those. And yes, like you're saying, a racist practice that was technically outlawed in 1968, but the negative impacts, we still feel them today. I mean, yeah, just yeah. Quickly, I mean, we've talked about it before, but it still happens informally in the real estate market with landlords and real estate agents claiming there aren't a, uh, apartments available to families of color or not showing them houses in neighborhoods where they believe or where they claim that a family of color would lower the property value. That's a like piece of accepted wisdom in the real estate uh, industry in a lot of places. That's actually a thing that real estate agents and landlords have been caught on camera and on audio doing right. in the last few years in, you know, backwater shitholes like, I don't know, New York City <laughs> and New Jersey. Gasp. And, you know, L.A. Like, the yeah, it's just everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and as you look, like you're saying, right, home ownership, like in America, the path to wealth accumulation is typically inter- intersecting with property ownership, with owning your home. And when you look at, at the start of 2020, nearly 75% of white households own their homes compared to 40% of black households or 48% of Hispanic households and or even 55% of other racial minority households. So the DOJ has announced that it's going to be tackling this problem with a new initiative called the Combating Redlining Initiative and taking many approaches to sort of try and create some more financial equality, like strengthening their working relationships with financial agencies to make sure like redlining, like they're like, oh, like we can identify what's happening here and referred to authorities, also increasing coordination with state officials to weed out potential fair lending violations. But at the end of the day, like this, while this is a great thing, I think one of the biggest missing like facts that isn't talked about enough when you talk about like the income inequality or the just the huge differences that we have in financial outcomes for white Americans as it relates to more specifically to black Americans, but minorities as a whole, but also talk about black Americans. This this relates specifically to chattel slavery is that, you know, there have just been generations of black people who have been kept from attaining wealth. And this has been happening again since chattel slavery. And it's a huge contributing factor to the inequality we see today. Just like if you zoom out, right, and you look at the value of slaves, slavery, the 4 million slaves 
that were in the U.S. in 1860 were worth about $4 billion in 1860 time. In today's money, that would be close to $42 trillion. That's what the slaves were worth. Okay, and then if you zoom out a little bit more and you say, well, what about the wages that potentially were kept or could have been paid to slaves? That comes out to about twenty point three trillion dollars in wages if there if slavery was a wage uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> wage gig rather than fucking slavery. Right. So you're thinking these are massive amounts of money that were taken off the backs of the slave labor and now just put into all kinds of communities in the United States. You also look at the Homestead Act where people were given houses that were basically taken from Native Americans. That was mm-hmm. that was mostly for white people. They say about you know forty eight million people in the United States benefit from the Homestead Act, probably unbeknownst to them. And this is sort of the table that black Americans were given a seat at. And that's the gap that, you know, black people have had to overcome. And when you look at how redlining took another opportunity for upward social mobility away, it becomes truly staggering as it relates to redlining in like the 50s and 60s, though, like this is when most people's grandparents were buying homes and things like that. Percentages of house ownership went from 30% to 60%. But in that time, 98% of the home loans were given to white families. So at every stop, you're like, there's so much shit to overcome. And when you look at this redlining task force, I'm like, this is great. But also when you really think about what you are trying to, how you're trying to rebalance the scales, it's such a minuscule drop in the bucket, especially when you think about the, you know, 40 acres and a mule that were promised to newly freed slaves as well and how the government reneged on that. And there's that's also trillions of dollars in wealth that completely could have been in the hands of black families. Yeah. So it's just a very interesting thing to mull over as like the headline is merely talking about redlining without like, come on, give people like really the foundational understanding of like why this needs to be addressed. So what are they going to do? I mean, in this instance, they're just saying we're going to do better about being taking, yeah. uh, you know, discriminatory lending practices seriously. But then that's why I'm saying, like, I really want people to have the perspective of like, well, here's the thing. Imagine if descendants of slaves were actually got were given some kind of reparations, reparations yeah. you know, and what that actually means to create some level of equity, because. At every turn, there was just these moments where the United States government were able to just sort of reinforce this caste system very cynically. And now we're only getting to a point where, like, we're talking about just the, a drip in the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. The $42 trillion, like, just to think about that, that $42 trillion worth of, you know, value that was mm-hmm. stolen from black slaves, and that was used by the families, the plantation owners, the to become extremely wealthy. And that money is still in those communities like yeah. to this day. Like that's that it's it's a thing that's so foreign to Americans like they I'm reading this book, The History of Debt, the first 5000 years. And the author like uses this phrase, a person who acts like he doesn't owe anything to anyone. And he's like, would uses it as like a self-evidently like thing that stupid or unvirtuous people would do. And like, that's not a saying in America because that that's almost like the American ideal. Like when you Google that in America, they're like, you don't know shit to anybody. <laughs> like there, yeah. it's just people reinforcing yeah. that. And it's the, the idea that you, you know, we rewrite people's life stories Mm. for them or only listen to the parts of their life stories that involve them pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. We, you know, this is what that Malcolm Gladwell book Outliers was about is like people who have advantages, they get their, have their stories rewritten. So instead of focusing on the fact that Bill Gates was like uniquely wealthy and in a school system that had the only computers where he could have learned programming as a kid, his story gets retold so that he is a college dropout who like made it from nothing to becoming Bill Gates. And it's just like so outside of the American ideal to think about the fact that you are the result of a number of you know, ancestors, people before you who got breaks or were robbing people. And like, that's just so hard for Americans to wrap their head around, I think specifically because 
we are founded on a, a country of you know slavery and so it's a thing it's a mm. memory that they specifically don't want to have and therefore we've built our entire ethos around the idea that we're all just starting from a blank slate yeah america yeah. started in 1920 right you know what i mean it's like, don't look about anything before that right and I mean, and I think that's why we're seeing just all of the the panic around like educating people and what it yeah. means to teach history in this country, because it's it's about confronting the ugly shit that is part of your history that you have to learn from to be able to move past it, to grow past it. If you're going to always make yourself ignorant of those things, then, you know, like that saying goes, you're doomed to repeat it. And we are continuing to and still shrug, like shrugging our shoulders, like, what's going on? How do we still? Huh? Yeah, you really helped me organize thoughts about just always feeling like this is a more ahistorical culture that yeah. I'm in and I live here. But I will say about reparations that also from like a foreign perspective, it's really not a radical proposal when you are um, when you have family who's been through the Holocaust because, you know, my grandma would get reparations until she passed last year from Germany. So it's like, yeah, that, it has. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not radical. It's not unheard of. It's just radical to the very like white supremacist sort of mindset of of Americans. And well, yeah, because you have to for that to happen, you have to acknowledge, acknowledge. that the United States is where it's at because of chattel slavery. Like yeah. the mm-hmm. amounts of wealth it untold. Like no one even came close to the amount of money that was being made with slaves uh, in yeah. the United States. Like the South was like the most profitable tiny piece of land during that time because of all of the the slavery. And I think that's a huge part that, you know, it's like, just like with anything with people like, what's my white privilege? Like more than that, American privilege or the foundation financially that the this whole thing is set up on is, is so fucking ugly. But right. again, it's easier to just say like, yeah, it was just like a couple people were doing it. It's not really like, the the main engine financial engine of the country when it's exactly what it was yeah so it, it sounds like this task force is not going to try to necessarily deal with the sins of the past but more like tackle what is still happening like what's actively happening now with lenders is that is that right yeah i mean that's what it is. yeah exactly like this is yeah. what we can do now but it's like one of these yeah. things where it's like somewhat the damage is so significant from everything else preceding it that yeah. it just feels it's really bad faith bad gesture faith. to not truly observe that and say, wow, that's a lot of money that is owed to these people. Yeah. Because we basically just brought them over in bondage and extracted every last drop of value from these people's bodies. Yeah. We covered a story last week about how one of the guys running for Virginia governor, uh, the Republican, not not surprisingly, helped a woman who th- like was outraged that her high school age son was being asked to read Toni Morrison's Beloved. And like, she was the one making the ad about it. She was the one who she didn't say what the book was, but acted like that was pornography or like some sort of just violent uh, act of violence when it's actually a Pulitzer Prize winning like one of one of the great novels based on actual events based on actual events. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's violence to the American psyche for the reasons that we're talking about in this story. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about other stuff. And we're back. And just a quick update on John Deere collective action, the strike that is happening. So after union members rejected an earlier proposal from the head honchos at John Deere, nine to one, so 90% voted not to accept it. And that's what sent them on strike. The company has now come back with an offer that doubled the wage increase from 5% to 10%, which it follows years of no raises. So like much earned and deserved and still probably not enough, but uh, moving in the right direction and boosted retirement pay and benefits. I don't, this is uh, according to the Des Moines Register. So I don't know if those are significant, could easily be an overly positive spin being put on it by the company to make it seem like the union's being unreasonable if they reject it. 
But regardless, a doubling of the raise for everyone is significant. I don't know if it's enough, but it just goes to show you that unions don't help at all and only want to make themselves <laughs> richer. Mm. Right, Amazon? So, yeah, apparently apparently there's something to, to this whole collective action thing. Yeah. I mean, it seems from what I've seen, it doesn't sound like people are as upset like as maybe like the IATSE uh, things were. Like we're saying like this is not like not we can go deal. for a lot more. Right. But I don't know. I'm I'm curious to hear from uh, any people with a stake in that. If you're a UAW member, let us know. Is it bunk? So is it, is the it results on the IATSE thing that where they backed down from the strike, they the union members didn't feel like they got everything they wanted. Is that no? Yeah. No, they they were like, if if we're able to mobilize this much and truly put like producers, the studios on a back foot, we could we should really be we should really be asking for like the things we really need and not just sort of mm-hmm. take like something right. in the form of their acknowledging what we're asking for. So I don't I'm I have to I'll have to look into that to see if they've ratified it yet, but I don't know if they have. Yeah, yeah, I think they no one was expecting the vote for authorization strike authorization to be so overwhelming, almost unanimous that it, it was like 90 like 6% or something. And then I cuz I think they had written the terms of the negotiation before that and then seeing how much power that they had and the unity of, of the union that they could they could have been asking for more. So I think people were disappointed. Got yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about another lopsided score. Uh, an Inglewood high school football team beat their rival 106 to nothing. You know, if it's just a regular game, I, I, I feel like that's overboard. If it's your rival, like, I don't know. Well, so here, well here's the thing. It's locally, there's been a lot of talk because like, you know, it, it was a local high school story, a lot of criticism for Inglewood High School for, you know, like they're, they're, they're they have a commit, like UCLA commit, Justin Martin, he threw 13 touchdown passes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then that at halftime, they were winning 86 to nothing. And then they went for two when they were up over 100 points. So. <laughs> They were, you know, they were putting the, they were putting a bashing in there. Now, I understand, like, in general, people are like, sort of the idea that that's a ridiculous score to run up for like a things with student athletes. But it's like, it's wild. It's to the point where there's like all these people like condemning it wholly. Like, this is absolutely a business. This is terrible. This is nonsense. CIF, the California Interscholactic, or what is it? Inter, yeah, Interscholactic Federation. Anyway, the governing body for high school sports, uh, CIF, they're calling for like an investigation. Um, and I'm like, what, what the fuck? Exactly. Come like, away and be like, yeah, they really fucked him up. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. hey, how's this team so good? Like, right. yeah, what's the, the so I'm just like curious, just in general, <laughs> what the I, what the outrage is about, like who we're protecting? Because personally, yeah. I fucking love a blowout. I love yeah. watching a blowout. Can, can just... the investigation also be how bad the other team is? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> how did they get so good? But also, <laughs> but also, and, man, these guys shit the bed. Did they, like did they I've know coached the youth rules? sports before, and yeah. I get it. Like just straight up athletic homicide can be a shitty experience for young kids, especially if you're trying to cultivate like an interest or love of a sport or competition, and to just get you know demoralized at a young age. I can see how maybe you're concerned about like what those outcomes might be. But for like when you're playing at about to go to college level and this is like, you know, you're you're fully at this point. I don't think you, these kids have to be realistic. They're not getting in the fucking NFL. It is what it is. I don't know. Like, I am i don't see if I'm not sure if they're protected by having like some kind of more articulated mercy rule or something like that. Yeah. What do you do? What is the move? What's the quote classy? Like you put in the second put on your third, third string. string. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they kept their their players on. And I just don't know, like, it's hard for me to say, like, oh, that's objectively, like, terrible and immoral thing to do. I'm like, objectively, this team is better than the other one. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. And I kind of, like you said, it's like high school. And so, I don't know, these kids like playing the game. I don't, I really, I'm not the authority on, on football. You guys, I know, said earlier that I was. (laughs) <laughs> and I am wearing pads. I'm wearing full pads, but yep. And you, know. you took your mouth guard out for us. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I don't know, Jack. Like, what do you think? I mean, you you're you come from a coaching tradition. You're mm-hmm. familiar with like what that means and what it means to athletes. But 
are is it again like i said I th- if there's a line being drawn i can see it with like truly you like true youth sports right you know like you don't want a six-year-old crying because like they just they'll never believe in themselves because some like phenom kids like you know just destroyed them in a game I think when it becomes a national news story, that's probably a little bit too much for the losing team. Like when it's an unprecedented ass kicking that like when there are 40 kids who are the like butt of a national news story joke like that probably sucks for but them I don't in think a way they that are. You, you don't think the kids who I, lost lot... feel weird co- coming to I school think... and like knowing that they're. A part like that they're on the daily zeitgeist for instance i mean that's but i'm not huge. but i'm not taking shots at them for losing okay i'm not saying you know what i mean it's not being like ha ha these kids suck i'm like holy shit this team scored 106 points sure that's that like they must be phenomenal athletes yeah but, but the also, story by default is going to have that whether you're thinking it or not like somebody is going to be right by you know. the mere attention is that it's drawing yeah. attention to the the absolute l that this team has taken but right. I'm I'm just curious of like psychologically, you know, if we're playing it out, like what is it like? Is is this something that's going to follow them around for the rest of their lives? Are they ir- like irreversibly changed by losing 106 to nothing? Because I remember I like I was in, in high school too. Like we would go up against teams. You're like, yo, they have three kids that are going to D1 schools. Like right. we're going to get yeah, absolutely yeah. fucking <laughs> battered. Like it was just it was known, accepted. It happened fine, even if it was like a huge blowout i mean not arriving to like a big old goose egg to 106 points but there was like there is a preparation that i feel like athletes do do when they go we're just up against something that's completely completely different quantity in our high school league at at what point is it funny like (laughs) at what point does it become a funny story you tell people like i was in high school and we got demolished right right i think when does that turn yeah the more i think about it the more this is probably bad for people who care too much about high school football. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So I'm kind of okay with it because like right. I cared too much about my high school basketball team. We sucked. And now in and pretty soon after in retrospect, I didn't give a shit and thought it was kind of funny that we had the lacrosse coach coaching us and he didn't <laughs> really know the rules of basketball. <laughs> and but like, yeah, so anybody who is on the zero end of this of this loss, you know, probably shouldn't care much about football at this point because they're not going anywhere. It's not doing anything for them, I, I would imagine. And also, like, sports is kind of silly in the end. Right. And the, when you see, like, the responses on some of the tweets that have described this game, like, you will see the kinds of people, Jack, you're talking about, where, like, it's some guy in, like, a Ranger pickup truck with, like, right. his wraparound shades. is like, Hey, in Texas, they would have put on the third string. That's why Texas high school football coaches are cut above and classy. <laughs> and like, those were the takes. Like, it's right. like, yeah, of course this happens in California. Like, I was like, I don't know even what this means. What are the right. stakes for you, sir? Yeah. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. The sanctity. Yeah. Right. And, I, but I mean, in general, right? Like losing is just something that will occur. Like you will, you will take L's in life in right. general. Like I have been metaphorically experienced a blowout when I've, you know, tried to challenge myself or thought I was capable of something because of my own overconfidence. And I was like, oh, shit, I actually have a lot to learn. That didn't yeah. go nearly as close as I thought it would. And I need to either redouble my efforts or understand like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. But like to say, like to avoid an experience like that at all. And I'm not saying kids need to get blown out 106 to nothing, but I just don't think it arrives at this thing that we're, you know, it's it's, uh, you know, pearl clutching time. I mean, I'm a but socialist I I be... in America. I do nothing but take L's constantly. Like that's <laughs> that is the li- lived experience of every leftist in America. But yeah, you need you need to probably learn how to how to deal with this. I, the thing you were saying about the Texas college football coach, I'm wondering if like college football coach has become the coolest job in like mean like middle like if you just took the average of all americans like the job that they have the most respect for would be college football coach because we have fucking ted lasso where like they've created this fucking religious figure who's the college football coach we've got like 
a Tommy Tuberville. We've got like a lot of college fo- football right. coaches who are like entering becoming, politics. Yeah, entering politics. They're like our our new like former military person. Like the highest honor you can achieve is like winning a bunch of games in football. Like, yeah, I, right. Uh, I think that's fully true, and I think they have done surveys where they're like, "Who is the most respected person, state by state?" And right. for a lot of the states, it's like the big, like in the southeast, coach. especially. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like they're up there with like the king of kings himself, Christ, <laughs> <laughs> or Donald Trump, depending. Right. <laughs> yeah. Praise them, and they are they are mm. all, are already like the highest paid people in each state. Like state mm-hmm. employees in each state, so right. That's again. I mean, and I, I, aside from like arguments, like injuries can occur. Like if a game is already like a thing, well, it's like well, then you need to actually articulate some kind of law that would be like, nah, sorry, this game is out of reach. It's over. Yeah, but um, then also like a lot of people like that could also have an effect on players too. If you're really concerned, if they're like, they're like, oh, we're so bad. Like, yeah, we're just waiting for this inevitable death point in the in the match. Yeah, because. People talk about, like, where is the outrage? And this someone in the root wrote up, they're like, you know, Lisa Leslie scored, like, over, I think, nearly 100 points in her high school basketball game. And people were like, this is a, this is great. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? There's some like, racist white people who are not like that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just, like, interesting of, like, at what point you allow these, like, allow a superior talent to just do their thing and just be like, shit. And, like, yeah, is what it is. Yeah, like, just salute. Yeah. Tear, tear streaming down your face. Yeah. <laughs> God bless you. If anything, this was probably the safest college football game because nobody's like trying at the end of that game when you're getting beat 106 mm-hmm. to nothing. Nobody's going to like put their body on the line trying I mean, to like, get yeah. a fucking concussion to stop them from scoring. I mean, at, at a certain point, like if it were me as a co- as a uh, high school student, I would be rooting for the other team to score t- so that I had a story to tell. It's like, a meme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a yeah, meme. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's like, yeah, I think especially if it was football, like I would immediately see the humor in it and be like kind of, you know. Right. Me too. And I feel like it. if you're if you're on the other team, you you kind of lay down so you don't give him a highlight reel. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah. any of the good plays he's doing look weird. Like right. just start doing weird <laughs> stuff on the field. <laughs> right. So he can't use it. Just grab so if you're your, trying, it's going to look yeah, pull your pants down. <laughs> <laughs> grab your chest and pretend you're having a heart attack Did you like cartwheel? as the ball is snapped <laughs> or just or just keep going just encroachment penalties so you just right. you march them up the field with your encroachment yeah. penalties yeah try to try to hug them try to kiss them like you do all sorts of weird shit yeah, yeah. we were doing so good oh, I love you <laughs> you guys are so good wow because again I just want to point out Le- Lisa Leslie's has scored 101 points in 16 minutes. That's yeah. Wait, what? Yes. When she, is she, that even it, possible? The irony too is that she went to Morningside, which is the school that got blown out. Hey, all right. Are you serious? It's a yeah. balance. Really, life is about yeah. balance, guys. Look, she did 101 points in 16 minutes. Y'all lost 106 to nothing. Yeah. There's all le- we're, legends we're even. being created we're, constantly. We're back. We're back to square one. I mean, that is karma. That is karmic as fuck. All right. And finally, we just want to talk about the Tomahawk Chop. Because Maybe the World Series will be over at this point. It might not. Yeah, I, I feel like the World Series is probably going to be over or uh, heading towards being over if you were aware that it was happening. Because what says global competition better than a game played between Texas and Georgia? <laughs> but as... Everybody probably knows by now because of the gif of Melania rolling her eyes at uh, Donald Trump. The first couple was at game four or former first couple. And Trump thanked the uh, MLB for inviting him. And then the officials had to come out and be like, "Uh, we didn't invite you, man. You specifically (laughs) asked to come. So Atlanta gave him a box, which is, you know, probably to protect him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like that's, it's just something that nobody has ever had to do with a former president, which is like, uh, just so we're Say clear, nah we did not about the invitation. Uh, no, 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 like no, no. him. Uh, <laughs> we did not honor him. And yeah, so they famously uh, did the racist tomahawk chop. And people are now, you know, people on the right are like liberal sports writers are trying to cancel the Braves. Because, you know, they they claim that liberal sports writers hate the sport and fans and our country. 
Uh, Donald Trump Jr. retweeted a picture of his or a video of his dad doing the tomahawk chop and said, the left, the chop is racist. Americans. And then just showed his dad doing the racist thing. Wow, Americans also racist. What was your point again? <laughs> yes, he's, kinda, he's so bad at everything. Kind of lost the thread there. I, I, every Halloween, I'm reminded of the time when he dressed up in a uh, American flag onesie, like leotard, and his dad's face for Halloween. Oh, like, I think it was 2017. It was very troubling, mm. just psychologically. Yeah, what's a, going on a there? Mess. But it's like, I like, though, how even like with this, right, is even they're like, they're trying to cancel. The blah, 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 but it, the, I, there's always like these things like, actually, man, like Native American people like love it. So, like, I don't know what I don't know what everyone's yeah. problem is. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's really, the, sir? Can you find me some quotes? Yeah. All right. It's the I have a black friend and yeah. he says I'm allowed to use the N word defense, mm-hmm. the Native American community. And that so this is from MLB commissioner Rob Manfred. The Native American community in that region is fully supportive of the Braves program, including the CHOP. For me, that's kind of the end of the story. <laughs> oh, shit. Except several indigenous groups, including the Atlanta Indigenous Peoples Association and the National Congress of American Indians, have spoken out against the gesture, explicitly contradicting that bullshit narrative that the commish was trying to come with. Well, then it's probably only been happening recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only been happening recently. It's just because of this woke culture stuff. So the last time the Braves were in the World Series in 1991, there were like widely publicized stop the chop protests in 1991, 30 years ago. Yeah. Well, you know, 1991 was a very, very woke time. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I man, Nirvana. Ugh. Just, yeah. Just <laughs> got my blood boiling just thinking about the woke culture that Kurt Cobain brought to. And the MLB commissioner at that time buried the issue and was like, we need more education, but we'll talk more about it after the World Series, which they did not. And <laughs> the, the Atlanta team did put a like educational like installment in the ballpark to, quote, educate fans on the Cherokee culture and customs. There, done, done, done and done. So the the chop and the like song that they sing along with it originates with a literal cartoon. It shares similarities with the theme song for a racist cartoon from the 50s called Pow Wow the Indian Boy, uh, which was on the Captain Kangaroo show. And nope. yeah, it's it's not great. It's based on old college marching band songs with names like War Chant and Massacre. And <laughs> it's. But I mean, college marching band songs are all, you know, good and not racist and horrifying. So we're all good there. But people are pointing out that Trump may have actually helped the protest movement because. Yeah. What better than have him? Right. The yeah. the mascot of racism, like cosigns, the thing that you're trying to yes. claim is not racist. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Smiling ear to ear. Yeah. Being like, this is what I do. Me. Yeah. And then his son being like, this People think this is racist, but here is my dad, a racist, doing the racist thing. So, uh, what's your case point? Closed? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, so yeah. the the chop is racist, and I think it's one. And it's one of those things where, like, the the Braves and also the Chicago Blackhawks have managed to kind of keep stay low, right? While yeah. like the Cleveland Guardians or Washington Football Team, very quickly people are like, huh? What's up? What? Because I think those are the most the least nuanced versions. Yes. The just most egregious. Like, yeah, right. And like one is a slur. Right. right. And then the other one has one of the most offensive mascots I've ever seen. Yeah. Like I mean, Chief that's, Wahoo. Yeah, yeah. And even the Braves had Chief Nakahoma and stuff. He lived in mm-hmm. like a teepee, like in the fucking field and shit. But like, I've seen like, re- I think the last time like so there was even a, an attempt for a reckoning, like with the Chicago Blackhawks in the NHL, they were saying like, oh, it's an a- the Black Hawk was this actual person and we're actually honoring him. That's what the yeah. whole point is. He loved and, hockey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he was so into it. He's so he into by, it. He played some, played yeah, some games. Told us he was cool with it. And then, yeah, doing, doing some pickup uh, for some beaver pelts, uh, you know, uh, you know, like with some traders. You know, you know how you know how he got down. But they did the same thing, too. They're like, we actually have like an exhibit. And so like we're like trying to educate people. But even then, like local activists were like, that's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
What is this? Got, yeah. Super producer DJ Dramos has pointed out the Braves were in the World Series in 99. Duh. I mean, oh. as if we could forget. I'm sure that is one of those uh, things I was wrong about that not a single uh, member of the Zeit Gang would have pointed out. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. You know, we, we, have, we, have, we have listeners of the ATL there. They'll be like, excuse you, bro. Yeah, that's true. Mariano Rivera friggin' blew us out. I don't know why I'm talking like a New Yorker. A <laughs> no, that was a perfect Atlanta accent. Perfect ATL. Um, and, and we have had we've had a full a fully offensive World Series before. We've had the Braves versus the Indians, ninety five. Hey, so all right, you know, it's uh, boo, yeah, <laughs> bad Bro earns. Bro earns. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this week's weekly Zeitgeist. Please like and review the show if you like the show. Uh, it means the world to Miles. He he needs your validation, folks. Uh, I hope you're having a great weekend, and I will talk to you Monday. Bye. Bye.